Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Today's reading is Year of Yes, Chapter 4, Yes to the Sun. And next week's reading is Year of Yes, Chapter 5, Yes to Speaking the Whole Truth. Go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when. Yeah. So, um, okay. So we had some technical difficulties last week. Yep. <laughs> and we just scrapped the whole thing and we're, we're doing this again. So this is uh, chapter four, Yes to the Sun. Um, and uh, so what were your reflections over the past now two weeks about this chapter? Um. So I thought about the idea of a vulnerability hangover. Oh, right. <laughs> right. So on page 29, Shonda had talked about her birthday hangover. It's like, I slept with who? I cried where? I sang what song? <laughs> I promised myself I would do what? <laughs> and <laughs> that is what I expected to feel, you know, after our last BSY episode. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. And our listeners were amazing and fiercely kind and supportive. Um, but you and I have also had deeper conversations, you know, since that episode. And yeah, I, that helped us, you know, and, and was mm -hmm. good for me, too. And I shared some of the lighter stories with my son. Like, I had never told him about that Irish class or that opportunity. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think it became more of like an awakening into my own story than the shame storm that I was expecting. Yeah. And for that, I was both surprised and grateful. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in this telling stories or, or searching for stories, there are some side effects. Mm -hmm. So one of those is um, the inability to lie to myself. <laughs> which, right. which is a handy thing to have, uh, you know, until you try to get all like emotionally healthy and whatever, and then you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, more generously, the ability to be clear and honest with myself, even when it would be so much easier not to do that. Yeah. But it's mm -hmm. it's like, once you see it, you can't unsee. So mm -hmm. this lack of ability to tell myself stories that are not true um, anymore. And the BSY storytelling is bleeding over into other podcast work. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy Kay and I are doing Southern Fried Pop Culture, mm -hmm. you know, where we talk about Southern movies. And we did an episode on Where the Heart Is while well, we recorded it. And I had this like complete emotional breakdown over this movie, <laughs> which I mean, I love that movie. I do too. It's a great movie. But mm -hmm. I ended up just like, having to message Mandy and being like, I'm going to need some more time because oh. I just fell to pieces watching this movie <laughs> but but in watching it kind of with this lens on I realized that I read that movie like a fairy tale mm -hmm. and in that yeah. you know in that was this sort of thesis that like some girls deserve that kind of fairy tale and some don't mm -hmm. and that I would consider myself as not deserving that and so it was a very painful kind of aha um mm -hmm. but I couldn't like not 
convince myself that that was what I saw after I saw it, you know? (laughs) So um, it just seems to be kind of sharing out in other areas (laughs) of of my life. And then unfortunately we had a death in our family um, and I lost a great uncle who I loved dearly. And I spent the the day that I found out um, the whole day in tears, like overcome Mm -hmm. crying, you know, all day. And I don't think I had that kind of emotional ability, I guess, before yeah. we started doing Big Strong Yes. Mm-hmm. Normally, it would have taken me a long time to get to tears. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, in that and for other areas of heartbreak in my life, I cry all the time now. And it's <laughs> like, right. it's, I don't know that this is like a super great thing. <laughs> oh, welcome to the club, my love. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, but I can at least also kind of sit back and laugh at myself for that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's what that feels like when something sad yeah. happens and you cry immediately in response. Okay, that's <laughs> that's new and different. <laughs> um, but then I think kind of my last reflection was starting to fear the bottom of the well because, mm-hmm. like, you know, we we did some honest sharing in the last episode. Yeah. And then I thought, what if that's all I got? Like, (laughs) what if, what if that's all I got? What if, what if those are the only stories in me? What if Mm -hmm. nothing sparks for me in these other chapters? Like, what if, what if I have no, no other, you know, what if I got nothing else? So um, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. (laughs) Yeah, no, it will. I mean, it is, it is really interesting because what we're doing now is not so much, you know, based on the content of the book. I mean, it's inspired by the content of the book, but we're not talking about the book as much as we're talking about like us and our stories. Mm-hmm. And like, what if I don't have a story for this? What if I don't have right? something to say? Yes. You know, it's a, it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit high wire. I think, you know, this, this great idea of mine. <laughs> well, you know, we're doing a little bit of off-roading, but yeah. 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 So we'll see, but I'm willing to keep trying. So, okay. What about you? What were your reflections these last two weeks? Oh God, you know, I mean, it's been a little weird. Like, I don't usually get vulnerability hangovers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've I've been very used to this. My life has been out there for a long time, and I'm just sort of this is this is how it is. You know, um, I like that I am like in real life, pretty much exactly who I am on the podcast. Right? You'd yep. agree with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You, know, you listened to me for a long time on the podcast before you got to know me and I'm basically the same chick, yep. right? You know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm slightly more performative, you know, mm-hmm. on the podcast. I try to express myself a little more succinctly, I think, than I do. I project my voice a little bit more. Uh, when I try to curse a little bit less, not a lot less, <laughs> but a little bit less to, on the podcast. I try to curse a little right. less. <laughs> exactly. But you know, I mean, basically, it's who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is that like, this whole thing is cutting deeper into who I am than I've done, you know, previously in like a really public forum, you know. Um, And so for the past like couple of weeks, you know, I've been thinking about what I'm saying, you know, what I'm sharing about blowback and consequences and all of the ways that, that he might try to make my life hell if he's listening or if somebody tells him that I'm like telling the truth, you know, because right. it's not just my truth, like, or my side of it. Like this stuff is, it's just true. Like the woman he was with before me sent me an affidavit 
you know, a legally signed document Mm -hmm. detailing her experience. And it was just a match, you know, for what I had been through. She was with him for 11 years and is still recovering now, seven years later, you know, she's okay. She's doing good, you know, but it was really bad for her for a long time, you know, and she was like the first one. So like I have her experience to validate me, but she didn't have any of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But my kids, you know, like the second he left the house, that terrible day, right? He left the house and within, I don't know, it was like seconds. I mean, literally, I don't think he was out of the driveway. And they looked at me and they said, I feel better. Oh, wow. You know, like now that he's gone, I feel better. It was like in minutes, they had his number down, you know, Mm -hmm. and it took me like months to believe. I mean, you've been standing by me through this whole thing from the beginning. Like, I know how many conversations we've had where I'm like, but maybe, but maybe, but maybe. And you're like, oh, honey, you know, like like it took me months to accept this. And, you know, members of his family have sought me out, Mm -hmm. you know, and sent me messages and told me things I didn't know before that they were afraid to contact me about when I was with him because they were afraid that, you know, he'd find out and that he'd get angry and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't want to have a connection with him, but they wanted to know what he had told me about them, you know? So it's just been, it's been crazy. And this isn't my side of the story. Like I wanted to be wrong. I tried so hard to be wrong about all of this. I worked for months to find a way, any way that this narrative can be anything other than what I've realized it to be. So I tried so hard to tell as generous a story as I could for him. I tried to believe that he wasn't what he is, you know? And then in the past like couple of weeks, I've just been wrestling with like what I'm revealing here, how much I'm revealing here, Mm -hmm. you know, what I'm saying out loud and allowing to be true. Because once you say it out loud, you know, once you tell other people, you can't go back. You know, and so I know I've said a lot of stuff on this podcast, but like now I'm really talking about it. Mm -hmm. I'm really sharing it, you know, and then, you know, we had that time person of the year. Right. Right. You know, the hashtag me Too women. Right. And this kind of behavior toward women has been going on for so long. And we've all kind of bought into this idea that. You know, it's maybe not okay for the men to do these things, but it's absolutely worse for us to talk about it. You know, there are consequences. We get blowback. Anybody who thinks that a woman comes out with these accusations falsely is insane because there is no benefit to that. You know, there's no benefit at all. So we keep quiet. We say nothing. We let these men go on and do these things over and over and over again to other women And then once he's done, we huddle together with the victims and we share our stories amongst ourselves because we are the only ones who will believe us, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have so much overwhelming evidence and and in a situation like this, you know, where you are emotionally victimized, um, most women don't have that. They don't have what I have. They don't have the history. Mm -hmm. They don't have the evidence. They don't have the me too, not just from other women who've been through it, but from women who've been through it with him. You know, um, I have so much confirming what I've known to be true this whole time. You know, if his family had gotten in touch and had anything good to say about him, I might still be trying to find like the generous story, 
but there just isn't one. Trust me, I've looked for it. There isn't one. It isn't there. This is what he is. This is what he did to me and what he did to my kids, you know? And not all of my stories are going to be about him, but when they are, I want to speak. You know, I want to tell the truth. And if I get slapped five times or 10 for telling not my truth, but the truth, then okay, fine. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not afraid of him. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of him. I've been afraid of him for a long time. I was afraid of him when we were married and I couldn't understand why. Now I know why, you know, right. but I need to tell these stories in order to heal. I need to talk about it and to understand that the shame is not mine. It's his. Oh. And my talking about it is not worse than him doing it. Absolutely. So I need to hold on to that because I do, I get shaky. Mm-hmm. I get afraid, you know, I get tense and I get worried. And then I'm afraid that he's going to do something awful to me. But the thing is, he's already done the awful things to me that he can do. You know, he's done everything that he can do to me. And I mean, aside from coming here and killing me, which, you know, he might do someday, who knows. But, um, no. but I mean, like, I, I just don't want to be afraid I want to talk about it. I want to be honest about it. And I can't be honest about it without saying what actually happened while I'm dancing around it, you know, or trying to find a generous story for him. So for me, like that's been my kind of focus these last couple of weeks is that I am not a bad person for talking about what happened to me. Of course not. You know, that doesn't make me bad and it doesn't make me vengeful. It makes me somebody who's sharing her story. And the more that these women share their stories, the more other women come out and say it. And, and, and I say this in terms of, you know, gendered, I'm using gendered language, which really isn't fair. Men go through this too. Mm-hmm. Men have been abused. Men have been manipulated by, you know, really, really bad women. Like that happens too. And I think that using that gendered language can sometimes be really, really, um, you know, kind of, uh, it shuts down the male perspective of that. And so I, I am using gendered language and I shouldn't, but, but, you know, what I'm talking about is victims and perpetrators, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from with all these stories, with telling our stories about these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I've decided that I'm afraid and I feel ashamed and I feel like bad about it. But I think that the path to healing is, is telling that story and telling it honestly and having a little courage. I think it takes a lot of courage. And that's probably one reason why you wanted to talk about your guest this way, in this memoir yeah. way. Because you have these stories that you need to tell in order to heal. Yeah. That's no small thing. You know, that's, that's not a small <laughs> amount of courage. That's a lot of courage. And the shame part of that is not on you. Although I, I do understand what you're saying. It feels like my shame. I know, but it's not. I'm just, yeah. it's not. But hearing you talk about this, like your situation is recent. Mm-hmm. Mine is not. You know, mine mm-hmm. is old. <laughs> it's very old. And it makes me feel bad because I wonder how I'm connected to the women who came after me. Because as far as yeah. I know, I was the first. Like, and there could have been women before me. I don't know. But, you know, my son's father, when we split up, he, you know, got married, um, had two children in that marriage, got divorced, Mm -hmm. got married again, had another child, got divorced again. Both marriages have instances of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. All custody, you know, have issues with, with the other children. 
so in this, in if you weave our stories together, mm-hmm. right, if you follow this as like a narrative of abuse, then these women came after me and their experience with him. Yeah. And I said nothing. Like, all I tried to do was get away from him. Mm-hmm. I never went after him. I never reported him. I never told anybody. Baby, you he know, would about have killed him. you. Like, and that's, that's <laughs> I, just I mean, different. I, did, I never even got child support. I mean, I didn't go after it. I didn't pursue that. I didn't. Yeah, um, you did the right thing. You did what you had to do to protect you and your son. You got out of it. I got out of it, but I got out of it silently. And and then I just wonder, like, how does that connect me to these other women? Like, what kind of narrative is that that I'm part of that I very much don't want to be part of? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's a very disturbing idea, but there is this there's this interwoven narrative of, of abuse and violence yeah. and it's real. And I'm part of that, whether I want to be or not. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's disturbing. And I feel terrible that I did not warn them. I mean, not that I would have had any way to, but still like, I feel well, like have. I and should have done something. It's not your responsibility though. Like it's really not like, and I know it's not my responsibility either you know, um, to protect the people that might come after me. And I can't do that. You know, right. I know that I'm lucky and that the people who experienced it before me have validated things that I would have questioned otherwise, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, I mean, the fact that there's 38 years of life and he can't produce one, not one person who doesn't hate him, 38 right. years and not one person, right. you know? Um, so I think that like, it's, it's not your responsibility to protect the people that come after you. It's your responsibility to protect yourself. And I think that as we share these stories in general, we are helping each other, you know? Um, and it's not my responsibility to protect the people who come after me. You know, I mean, they know, actually. They know a lot of it, and they don't seem to care. So whatever. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but, um, but I just, like, you can't feel responsible for that sharing your story as and when you are not just ready, but safe to share it, which is a situation that you weren't in. You know, I think that that's a big thing too. Yeah, I think so too. It's just funny how, you know, what is it? Never good enough. And who do you think you are? Like, exactly. (laughs) There's always one or the other, right? There's no safe space with this. And it just, it just kind of follows you and it's just very difficult to find your footing in it. Yeah. You know, but I was thinking about what you said about once you say these things, you can't unsay them. Mm-hmm. You know, once you've said them or once you've shared them and someone else knows. Yeah. And I was reminded of, um, I think, what kind of became the beginning of the end for me with my ex. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, I didn't tell anyone. Like, this is not a situation that I talked about and I was not... Um, well, he had separated me from my friends. Right. That's the, the time, first thing they do. The, you know, absolute mm-hmm. first thing that they do. Um, but it was just something that I kept to myself. And and I think it was almost this misunderstanding of intimacy that here is this destructive, abusive relationship, but it's only the two of us. So therefore, mm-hmm. it must be love that I was just young enough and stupid enough to believe, <laughs> you know, at the time. I don't know. Um but one day at work, I um, I broke a bra strap and all of my fabulous grace employees. <laughs> and I had to go into the 
bathroom and try to like repin it, you know, with like a mm-hmm. safety pin or something. Um, and I had taken my shirt off to do that. And like, I thought the bathroom was empty. And one of the women that worked close to me had come in behind me and I hadn't heard her come in the door. But when I looked in the mirror, I could see her face behind me mm-hmm. in the mirror. And she had gone like perfectly still and had gone kind of pale. And she's like, Kelly, what is going on? And, and I, it was like this moment of being flooded with shame you know, that hot, horrible, Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. like that, mm-hmm. like, oh, it was so bad because my left shoulder and all the way down my back is like bruised. And, but there was the shape of his hand. Oh like it wasn't God. like, I couldn't say oh, I bumped into a doorknob or I like, right. <laughs> you know, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. It was very obvious what this was. Um, and someone else had now seen it mm-hmm. and I couldn't unsee it. Like, I couldn't unsee the look on her face, and I couldn't undo that. Yeah. But it took, I think it took that. It took someone else seeing yeah. how horrified she was, really, mm-hmm. um, to kind of wake me up a little, yeah. you know, and, and to kind of get to the point where I would start questioning, maybe this man really will kill me. Like, right. maybe this is not mm-hmm. somewhere I need to stay. Um but it, but I felt ashamed, and I'm not the one that left bruises on someone else, right? You know, but mm-hmm. but in that moment, the shame of it was mine. Yeah. So I do think that sharing these stories and getting this stuff out in the sun, you yeah. know, out in the open air, <laughs> is is very important, and it's a mm-hmm. big part of healing. Um, and I think it's an important thing to do for ourselves and for each other, and for mm-hmm. anyone listening, and um. But, but there's an ugliness to that, too. Oh, yeah. You know, once you've been through that kind of abuse, and, and maybe the ugliness is what makes it so difficult to talk about. Well, it is. You know, I mean, because the thing is, like, when I talk about it, I feel how ugly it is. I feel mm-hmm. how ugly and gross it is. And then I think nobody's going to want to hear this. You know, nobody's going to want to, like, listen to this because it is so ugly and gross. And, it, and that's what I like. It feels like my shame you know, even though I didn't do this stuff, right. you know, um, and yeah, I think that that's part of why it is so important to tell the stories. I think that's part of why so many of these, of these, you know, and again, I'm using gendered language. I don't mean it this way, but like the, the, the perpetrators, right. You know, mm-hmm. um, so many of them get to hide in our silence, you know, mm-hmm. he hides in the shadow of my silence. And I've tried to be silent because I needed the papers to be signed and I needed a divorce and, you know, and it was so shameful for me. But, you know, now, like, I don't want to give him that place to hide. Not for me. He doesn't get any shelter from me. Right. You know, he can find it maybe in other places, but he's not going to get it from me. You tell your stories in the way that help you heal. Yeah. I think you should. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So. All right. So let's go into, <laughs> as we've had this incredibly like intense <laughs> opening of Big Strong Yes, like, whoa, it's wow. all, you know. Super terrible um, and fun. Yeah. So so let's go into chapter four, Yes to the Sun. What did you get out of this? So I was <laughs> in our our two weeks. How many times have I texted you and said, Lonnie, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. This chapter, for some reason, this chapter kicked my 
ass. Yeah. Like, it was like a wall of total and complete resistance. Well, it's about fear. Yeah, that's what you said. And I was like, God damn it. (laughs) No wonder. Like, I am resisting this with all of my ability to resist, which is pretty strong. Right. (laughs) You know? And and I'm kind of, so reading, you know, your notes and, and reading Shonda's story and thinking about fear... I think I have I have rewritten this three or four different times because my first round of this I pretty much ignored everything she said about fear, and I ninety <laughs> percent like of like, the chapter right right I know but I can do the thing so I ignored all of that mm-hmm. and I just zoomed in on the section of her talking about being a klutz. Right. And she was like, I'm the one who spills, who trips, who drops. She can't take me anywhere. And I was like, oh, I know this. I set <laughs> tablecloths on fire and and I drop stuff all the time. And I went on a first date the other day and dropped my phone at the very back of the theater, all the way down the, the chairs. And, you know, and like I have tons of those stories. <laughs> right. Right. But you didn't want to talk about the fear. Oh, no. <laughs> talk about fear. It's like, I will tell funny stories about being a klutz, and right. that'll take up all my time, and Lonnie can talk about fear. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> but you said, this is about fear. And I thought, oh, fuck me. Like, <laughs> that means I'm going to have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Because it's, and it's also an interesting juxtaposition with Rising Strong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because in Rising Strong, we talk about courage. Mm -hmm. And courage is what you do in the face of fear. Right. And I know how to do that. Right. Mostly. (laughs) You know how to do that. You are a badass. (laughs) Yes. But like fear itself felt like I had to talk about the source code. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Like I had to get down into the what does it mean and where does it come from and so that was kind of where I started. <laughs> but <laughs> how to work out for you? What you got? Oh yeah, for it, was, it only took uh, like twelve rewrites. But she, <laughs> there was a quote from Shonda Rhimes that said, mm-hmm. "My screaming fear was so loud that it was silent." Yeah, and I thought, okay, I can talk about that mm-hmm. because I think I have gotten comfortable. I've gotten used to it. Like I, I am, I walk with fear every day and we're just well acquainted. Right. <laughs> and so it, it was difficult to think about like, what does that mean? Or where does that come from? Or what does it mean to be so used to it that I don't even think about it being a thing anymore because mm-hmm. it's just a part of life, you know? Yeah. Because I've learned to face it dead on and keep going because there's just no other choice. Like Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's no other option um, for that. So I went back in time (laughs) and thought about (laughs) when fear was bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Right. And kind of like where that would have started or why maybe I would be so desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I grew up in an almost total state of fear. Yeah. Always. And so I think that, like, some of the stuff that's happened to me as an adult has been difficult and painful. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that any of it was as scary as growing up. Like, mm-hmm. I think the scariest parts were when I was a kid. And, 
and didn't know how to handle it or like didn't mm-hmm. have any kind of strength or badassery to fall back on. Um, and so I cannot imagine a, a, even a child, Dr. Jones, not having any badassery that is oh, beyond my comprehension. <laughs> I don't think I had much. I don't know. I was a smart ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I was much of a badass. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's where this this sense of bravery comes from. And at the same yeah. time, maybe that's not as strong as I think it is. You know, but being raised in a crazy ass cult will introduce you to all kinds of fear. You're so, right. like, <laughs> you know, there was fear of God and fear of demons and, you know, all of this just crazy doctrine that um, that was taught with such a level of intensity. Oh, you know, this sure. was not like it was not Sunday school. This was not Jesus oh, Bible stories, you know, <laughs> like right. I'm talking at age six and seven, like having to learn parts of Hebrew and speaking in tongues in front of a, you know, fellowship of people and like these wild, crazy sermons and this there's just this. Oh, my God. The level of intensity of that is crazy. Oh, sure. That must have you been know. terrifying. Oh, my God. Yeah. And for a little kid, it's like super, super, super scary until, yeah. I, I don't know, actually, I think I grew up pretty quickly, that I just sort of decided that all of the adults in my life were crazy. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like, they just... Good for like, you. It made I didn't get no there until sense. I was like in my mid-30s. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the things that they were telling me did not line up. With my understanding of reality. Right. So like, mm-hmm. and I would get in so much trouble for this. But like when I was, I think seven, I got in trouble for arguing with one of our leaders because they were saying that everyone who was Jewish was going to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. Oh, God. Well, one of my friends in school was Jewish. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And that makes no sense. And mm-hmm. I do not believe God works that way. And you make no sense. And I'm not listening to this. And they were like where did this girl come from and who's in charge of her and why is she asking so many questions and you know like shut her up and Mm -hmm. make her go right something (laughs) or copy lines or you know something Mm -hmm. um but it just didn't stick with me like it couldn't quite get through this I don't know desire that I had to understand Mm -hmm. things I just couldn't take the surface level answers um, but it was incredibly difficult. And like, I was called out on the carpet and, and I'm talking like they would stand you up in front of a room of grownups and like drill you. Oh my God. Or throw questions at you or, you know, berate you. Um, so like, um, yelling at people or stripping people down kind of like they do in the army was taught in this oh my group. God. And so like I was subjected to that even by my parents I mean sometimes for hours and hours at a time and I guess it just built me up to the point that I refused to change my mind and like maybe that contributed to being a strong thinker as an adult Mm -hmm. Um, but it was scary you know it was scary but I had to learn to to balance that within myself. How old were you? Um, We were in that group from the time I was a baby until the time I was about 12. So when they gave you this dressing down, how old were you then? Oh, gosh. That probably started when I was four or five. <gasps> oh, my. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And you like, stood up to that when you were four or five? No. Oh, no, no. I stood there and cried. When like, did you stand up to it? I probably started trying to resist it 
Maybe when I was like eight or nine. All right. I'm sorry. Judge ruling. You're a badass. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't talk back to them. It was internal. That, no, I don't care. That is badass. When you are <laughs> raised in something where people, adults, manipulate your reality to recognize it and call it out for what it is at that young age, when you are being threatened with literal eternal damnation in hell, that is badass. I think that is dictionary definition badass. So I reject your claim that you were not a badass <laughs> as a child. I'm sorry. Continue. No. But I would just like stand there and, you know, either nod or cry or whatever reaction that they wanted, I would give them. But in my head. Yeah, but you knew. Yeah. Of course you gave them what they wanted. They were, they had power over you. Yeah. But, but I think knew. that, that yeah. came from all the books that I was reading. Like, yeah, because all of those books and all of those stories gave me something else to believe in and something else to think about. And like, I could sit through, I can sit through like an hour of being screamed at and recite poetry in my head and get through it. Oh my God. Like I developed that skill as a kid. And, you know, so <laughs> I don't know that any of that was particularly healthy, um, but it worked for me. And it, and I think that power of being able to control how I thought is so valuable to me. Yeah. They couldn't get in there. Right. They could do all sorts of other things, but they couldn't get in there. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, that's impressive as hell. Like, this is the thing. This is basically, okay, everybody listening, this is BSY. Kelly Jones tells this story about how she was so beyond amazing. <laughs> and we're all <laughs> duly like, impressed. No. And she's like, nah. No. But, <laughs> but I have, like, as an adult, I have wondered... Um, like I have thought about reconnecting with other people who grew up in that group. Yeah, sure. To see if their experiences align with mine or, you know, maybe I'm remembering it worse than it was or whatever. Because you always question, like, surely oh, that's do. not as bad as I think it was. I, like, I highly doubt know? it's worse than, you know, than you remember it. Or it's as, as like it's not as bad as you remember it. I highly doubt that. But I, I know what you mean when you start to question it. And, you you know, you test your own version of reality because you want to make sure that you're you're accurate, you know? Right. Right. And, and that matters to me. But yeah, one of the things that they taught is that fear of a thing will manifest that thing. And, and I'm, I mean, that was like beat into my head. So if you're terrified that something bad happen is going to happen and you think about that all the time and you give that fear your attention, you will make that thing happen. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I was what up a on that. horrible power to give to a child. Right. And a responsibility so, to give to a child. Yes. So then anything really bad that happened could be blamed on my fear or on oh my, my lack of faith. God. Right. So <laughs> it's like the I mean, whoever designed it was wicked smart because it's a it's a no, horrible just, religious just pitch 22. Right. Just right. Wicked. I know. But. After a while, yeah. you know, as growing up, I came to realize that that was complete and total bullshit. Um, but the fear part of it was the last, uh, that was the hardest to shake. Like I shook the doctor in young. Yeah. That was so easy to break off from. Um, but that idea that you manifest fear or like you can cause bad things to happen because you're afraid, that stuck with me for a long, long time. Oh, and so God. like not admitting fear or like refusing to give into it was sort of beat into me. Oh, sure. Literally and, and, yeah. and figuratively, mm -hmm. you know. 
in this. And so I think that I have like a very strange relationship with fear um, because it's always been kind of a, something that you, you have to almost control or manage within yourself. And so I've sort of always done that, uh-huh. you know, but the big things for me, like I was always afraid of being wrong and not actually being wrong, but being caught mm-hmm. because <laughs> then that would get you in a bunch of trouble. Yeah. Um, fear of physical pain, um, mm-hmm. which has happened in various areas of my life. And then I mm-hmm. wonder, did I bring that on myself? And then I know better, but it's, you know, I, but it's still, still in there. It's still yeah. in there, you know, and then you have this fear of being like left completely alone, which was always something else that they kind of pushed um, mm-hmm. in that group. But it, it did make me remember this really funny story of the first time I saw fireworks. Mm-hmm. So this, this fabulous little religious cult would have this big event um, and it was kind of like Woodstock without the music and drugs. Mm-hmm. But it was, this was in the 70s and 80s, and it kind of had a hippie feel to it, except, you know, everybody was addicted to Jesus and you kind of worshiped the, whoever was speaking. It, but it was kind of like that, like outside intense and these the sort of, that was kind of that experience. Mm-hmm. So it was this huge um, revival kind of thing that would happen every year. And so after one of the speakers, they set off fireworks. And that was the first time I had ever seen fireworks. I think I was four. Mm -hmm. I might have been three. But I had this like complete clear memory of seeing the fireworks going off and thinking that that was the end of days. Because like I had already started the book of Revelations. Oh, my God. (laughs) At that age. Oh, my God. (laughs) So like seeing the fireworks going off and thinking that's the second coming of Christ. Oh my <laughs> that God. That was my childhood reaction to fireworks. Oh, honey. <laughs> so, not a traditional upbringing. No. Um, and not kind of a traditional relationship to fear. But I think most of that, because you couldn't talk about your fear, mm-hmm. right? Because then you would be manifesting whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned to deal with it alone. Like, it's an endurance battle, and I endure it. And I usually do that silently and by myself. Wow. And then if I do try to talk about it, it comes out as sarcasm. <laughs> you know? Like, you know that. <laughs> oh, I hear you, sister. Yeah. Right? Like, for me, the state, you know, people have stages of grief. Like, I have yeah. stages of fear. Like, stage one is sarcasm. Right. And then, <laughs> and then it'll come out as anger, mm-hmm. you know, and then maybe tears if it gets really, really, really yeah. bad. Um. But I think, like, one side effect of that is I've had severe nightmares, like, my whole life. Oh, wow. Um, because that's when fear comes for me. Right. Because, sure. Because that's know? the only time you let it in. Right. Right. Because I have to work during the day. I have mm-hmm. to handle all the stuff that has to be handled, and I have to make decisions. And I can't curl up with fear. I don't have time. You right. know? <laughs> like, I still have to go do all the things. But I think sleep, you're vulnerable for that oh yeah absolutely you know that's that's when it will come and get me Mm -hmm. um so anyway so I was just kind of thinking about it like as an adult fear has kind of had to wait in the back seat because I can't hide from it when there's work to be done and there's always work to be done Mm -hmm. I can't hide from it when there's tough decisions to make and as a single parent I have to make all those decisions by myself you know And so maybe this desensitization to fear has also narrowed my bandwidth for all the other emotions. 
mm-hmm. which is possible. <laughs> but fear is the physical emotion I know most. Like, I know that one best. Yeah. And it's the one I'm best at ignoring because I have to most right. of the time, you know. And so that has led to some very bad situations like dating an abusive man and ignoring <laughs> all of my instincts about him. Right. Um, but it also leads to good things like presenting in front of hundreds of people or moving <laughs> to take mm-hmm. a new job, like doing things that scare me because I'm right. able to, I guess, control that fear to a certain level. Right. Um, so anyway, so I started thinking about, you know, Shonda's experience with fear and how she faced it and kind of how she came to grips with what she needed in order to make her first year of yes action. Mm-hmm. She was, cause it was, you know, you need to go talk to Jimmy Kimball mm-hmm. and she's like, okay, I'll do it, but it can't be live. So she was sort right. of like scaffolding for herself. She knew what she, she was, was doing. The trickster of. move. Yeah. Yeah. She knew what she was scared of and she knew what she needed to, to be able to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I got to thinking like, what might that look like for me? Uh-huh. And so I had to think, what am I afraid of now? Right? Right. So I still have all my old fears of all the, the shame fears, right? Mm-hmm. The one of being ugly, of being unlovable, of being, you know, a bad person or having mm-hmm. darkness. Like, I still have all those. Those are super fun. They're always yeah. going to be around. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think I've realized that, like, I do have a fear that some things are not meant for me. And like my magical romantic idea of love may be one of those things. Yeah. I have some serious anger at the universe over that. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's a fear. Right. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it's real. Um, I think I have a fear of being stuck, just like yeah. working and taking care of people for the rest of my life. Um, I fear that I'm emotionally detached. Like we know I have learned some emotional things since we started this show (laughs) but I I don't know that it's my default you know so I have this fear of not letting anyone completely close to me in all the ways at once right so like we can be close intellectually we can be close emotionally we can be close physically so pick one or two right and we can be friends or we can be lovers fast and cheap thing right right? yes (laughs) yes but you get two max two but not all three Mm -hmm. and so that's a fear of me is that i will never get past that but i think the biggest fear that i have is is goes back to shonda rhymes idea of being your own son or saying yes to the son and i think i have a fear of never finding my son like not knowing what my chocolate factory is made of Mm-hmm. This this fear of not crossing that line into authenticity and that kind of bold happiness that comes from fully claiming yourself and what it is that you want. And this fear of living without fierce joy, because I don't honestly know where to find it. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And like, I think I have the capacity to imagine and appreciate awe and wonder, but I don't know if I have the strength or capacity to actually claim them and live them. Mm-hmm. So those are big fears. Wow. And that was so fun to write. And I think the klutzy, embarrassing stories were funny. But they were. No, they were really funny. <laughs> but this they is... were really funny. But what yeah. you just did there was powerful. Oh, this was really hard. But that was amazing, though. <laughs> I'm very impressed with what you just did. And I know how hard that is for you. 
Well, thank you. It's you your know. fault. <laughs> you were like, this chapter is about fear. What is fear meaning your life? Exactly. And I'm like, can Run we just along, skip this Dr. chapter? Jones and tell me about your fear. <laughs> yes. Can we just go on to chapter five? That would have been better. <laughs> well, God only knows what chapter five is about. I doubt it's going to be any easier. <laughs> right. I know. So anyway. So what about you, Lonnie oh, Dinerich? Dear God. How did All you right. do saying yes to the sun? Well, you know, I mean, I... I picked up right away that this was about fear. And so I started thinking about that, right? <laughs> glad one um, of us did. Uh, yeah, right. You know, um, in, in like regular everyday life, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I wrote down, I'm rarely afraid. Like if I know what I'm facing, if it's real, I can handle it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm rarely afraid of like the real things that are happening because they're happening and I'm dealing with them, you know? I am afraid. And when I say afraid, I mean like scared out of my mind all of the time, like of the things that aren't real, things that have not happened. I'm afraid of things that do not exist yet. The future, like I've said before, for me is an enemy combatant. The future is unknown. All of these things could happen. And I'm afraid of all of them at the same time. Like you were talking about, like, if you, um, if you have fear, then it's going to manifest. Right. For me, I grew up believing that if I was afraid of something, if I thought about it and anticipated it enough to be afraid of it, that it wouldn't happen. Oh, right? I like yours better. I don't know if it's any better. <laughs> no, I think um, I like it, yours better. <laughs> it has really, really contributed to me fretting about everything. And I think, you know, part of that was because my father, when I was 12, died very suddenly. Like, no warning, no nothing. I just got a phone call one morning. I was at my friend's house. I'd spent that night at my friend's house. And this phone call came in, you know, from my mother and then the, the, my friend's mom shuffled me out the door. And then we, you know, I saw my mom and she was like, well, your dad's dead, you know, and that was like out of nowhere. Right. So I had never worried about him dying because it didn't occur to me, you know? So I kind of grew up with this thing that like, if I worry about something ahead of time, it won't happen. Now, this is one of those self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Because if you worry about crazy shit, right. And then the crazy shit doesn't happen. It just you know, reinforces that idea that like, oh, wow, the world didn't turn green today and turn on fire because <laughs> I worried about it. Right. You know, um, like it's just it's all of that. So like everything that I worried about that didn't happen reinforced this idea that if I just worried enough, nothing bad would ever happen. <laughs> So it's like truly the exact opposite of me. It is the exact opposite of you. Yeah. I worried about everything to prevent it, you know? Um, You know, but the thing is like, I will get up in front of hundreds of people and speak. I got no problem with that. I'll go on TV and friendly chit chat with a morning show host. That was totally fine. I had no problem with that. (laughs) Podcast, radio shows. I will share my deepest, darkest inner blah, 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 you know, and it's fine. Right. But I'm afraid of imaginary things. I will panic over what might be, what might never be, what almost never is. And I will just have a dead panic about it. And, um, you know, this brought me back to like, you know, I was trying to think about like, when did all of that start? And I think part of it was, you know, my dad's sudden death, you know. Um, But when I went to college, I had basically because of my father, because he had died, we had life insurance. I had enough money in the bank. I wouldn't have had any money in the bank otherwise because my mother never did anything for that. But um I had enough money in the bank to cover like three years at Syracuse University, which is an expensive university. Had I gone to a SUNY school, I would have been fine, right? You know, but I decided I was going to go to Syracuse University. That was it. I knew math, like basic math, right? I knew how much (laughs) Syracuse cost and I knew how much I had in the bank. And I knew it was three years, not four, you know, Um, and I didn't worry about it. Like I just I just didn't 
think about it. I was just like, okay, it'll be what it'll be. Everything will work out. It'll be fine. You know, I worked part time while I was in college. You know, I made money for that. I went out drinking with my friends. I wrote papers. I took midterms. I just didn't worry about it. Right. Then I got to the end of my junior year. And predictably, as numbers do, they behaved in a way that you could anticipate. You know, Um, (laughs) I ran out of money, you know, and I just thought, "Eh, you know, I'll figure something out. Right. I didn't figure anything out. I applied for a couple of scholarships. Nothing came through. I couldn't get any student loans. My mother would not co-sign a student loan for me. Nothing came through. And I was at the end of my junior year. And that was it. Right. Then one of my professors came up to me and was like, there's a full time job, you know, here in the school. It has benefits. You can work and go part time and finish up. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay. I mean, this just came in and it just happened. Everything was fine. So (laughs) that's what I did. I mean, during what would have been my senior year, I worked full time. I got a couple of credits. I wrote papers. I took midterms. I went out drinking with my friends. You know, it was just fine. Right. And then at the end of that year, my boss came up to me and he was like, hey, we're giving you a 25 cent an hour raise. And I was like, yay. You know, and then he was (laughs) like, and we're cutting your tuition benefits. No more free school for you. Oh, no. (laughs) So I was like, okay. And I wasn't afraid. I talked to some friends about their plans for the summer after they graduated the summer when I did not graduate and decided I was going to go to Alaska. I was going to work for the canneries there. You know, they have this thing where like you can make so much money, you know, and then I just figure it out. Right. I just, I would just wing it. Right. <laughs> maybe I'd make enough money to cover a semester at school. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Um, of course I didn't, you know, I went there, I met my first husband, um, who I, I've been calling number one. I'm going to call him fish. Because he needs a better name than number one. He deserves an actual name, you know, and, uh, and I, Fish is a nickname I've had for him for a while. Um, so I moved out to Tucson after that summer with him. And I just like winged my life from there. I was a nanny for a while. I was a pyrotechnician at an Old West theme park, which was really oh, fun. Awesome. I got to blow stuff up. Oh, yeah. I have some really fun stories about that. Um, I got a job doing phone support for Intuit, the company that makes TurboTax. Thank you very much. That was very fun. Um, and I just kind of like lived my life, you know, I had no idea what my future was about. And I was fine. I was like, whatever, I'll figure it out, you know. And I had this like faith in myself back then, you know, I just knew it was going to be okay. The future was not an enemy combatant. And then when I turned 25, things got real. Um, Fish and I started having problems. Um, I'd met this other guy that I really clicked with, I'll call him Isaac, um, who told me that he liked me and he was into me and I was completely freaked out. It wasn't right. Um, because I was, you know, living with fish, right? So I freaked out because he had this whole thing where he was into me and I was like, this isn't right, you know, and I told Isaac that I couldn't spend any time with him. I cut him out completely. I focused on fish and our relationship and I made my decision based on that, based on me and him without Isaac being part of the equation. And we broke up, you know, and he was really hurt and I was completely traumatized because I had hurt him so much and I felt awful. I was heartbroken. I was scared, you know, and Fish's family, you know, who I'd grown to love. And I mean, I didn't have family. They were my family, you know, Mm -hmm. um, they just hated me now. That was it. You know, so that I'd lost all of that. So some months later, after I'd kind of like, you know, worked through some of that, um, Isaac and I started dating. Um, we fell madly in love, but he was deeply religious. I mean, deeply religious and I wasn't and we were getting you know like a a little sexy with it you know (laughs) and and he freaked out one day and like just broke up with me like so coldly he was like well this isn't gonna work see you later and that was it you know and I was like bye (laughs) 
So I was completely devastated. Um, I was so heartbroken. I had done all this improvisational living, not worrying about it, just going with it. It'll be okay. And it was not okay. Like I had fucked up. I had ruined my life. I had left school. I had broken one man's heart and had mine broken by another. I did everything wrong, you know? And then right about that time, I get a phone call from that professor back in, in uh, Syracuse. And he's like, come back. We got your job. We got your tuition. You know, you can get the benefits. And I was like, all right. So I left Tucson. I came back to Syracuse and I continued to wing it. But this was the point where the panic attacks really started happening. Like this was the point I'd lost that faith in myself. Mm -hmm. like that I was going to make it work, that it was going to be okay. You know, I didn't have faith that I had the ability to do anything right, you know? And I realized that I can trace it back to that. Like ever since that time period, I have been afraid, not of what was in front of me, but what I couldn't predict, what I couldn't see coming, you know? Mm -hmm. And Shonda in this chapter, like she knows where her fear lives, you know? And I haven't known where my fear lives. I just knew that I had fear. I knew that things could go horribly wrong at any moment. But instead of facing that reality, I like tried to control it. The future is an enemy combatant. See it coming. Be afraid of it first. Prepare yourself, you know. And there are some things though that you just, you can't prepare for. There are things that you don't see coming. And then you waste all this energy worrying about it, you know, and preparing yourself for stuff that's not there. And then when something does happen, you know, you can't handle it, you know? And so stuff happened to me and I didn't even know it was coming. I couldn't have, you know, like prepared for it at all. And then I'm on the ground facing the dirt, bleeding from the fall, you know? And so Shonda, you know, is afraid. She has this fear, right? But then she goes and she does the thing that she's afraid of. She faces that fear and it turns out okay, right? Turns out great. No fear thought, no chicken bone. Jimmy <laughs> Kimmel got his best, you know, um, best ratings ever. You know, it was great, right? Mm-hmm. So I look at that and I think, okay, the moral of this story is what? Face your fear, right? Do the thing you're afraid of, right? Except for me, like action is not my problem. You know, give me a yes, something I can say yes to. Give me action. I'm good to go. Wind me up like a toy. Point me in the right direction. I will march, you know. What I'm afraid of is what I can't see coming. You know, what I cannot accurately predict. But everything that went wrong with my life that led to this fear, that was stuff that was right in front of me, but I denied that it was there. Like, I denied that I was running out of money. I did nothing to prepare for it. I just let it happen and I winged it and I dropped out of school. You know, I denied that things were going wrong with fish. I didn't talk to him about it. I didn't look into the why. I just met someone else and only then did I realize that things were wrong. You know what I mean? I did the right thing. Like I cut Isaac off completely. I didn't see him again until after fish and I broke up. You know, we didn't get together until months after that. I mean, I did that right, but I was still completely heartbroken by what had happened. And that was because of that denial, you know, okay. Isaac, right. Isaac was deeply religious. I knew that going in. You know, I knew it. I knew he didn't want to have sex until he was married. I knew that what we were doing, the like almost everything but stuff, you know, was a real problem for him. Right. But we were in love and I thought it would be fine because love conquers everything. Right. You know, but no, no, it does not. More denial. Right. It doesn't. (laughs) I wish it did. I know that would be nice. Right. So a couple of years after that, you know, Fish and I were still friends. He made this big confession to me. He still loved me, you know, and I I loved him. Like, I still love him. I've always loved him. I love him deeply and with all my heart. But we're just not 
that thing, you know, I, I don't think that it's really a truly romantic kind of love that we have for each other, you know? And I denied that because he loved me and I loved him enough to want him to be happy. And if I was what made him happy, then okay. You know, plus I was like 26 at that time. I'm like, oh no, I was 27, I think almost. And and at that point I was like, you know, okay, clock's ticking. If I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to have kids. <laughs> like I started getting into that, you know? Um, so I denied what I knew about fish. You know, I denied who he was, that he wasn't a traditional lifestyle kind of guy, that he liked adventure. He liked the unknown and marriage and kids are traditional, known, serious things, you know, but I denied it. I didn't want to look at it. So I didn't. And then eventually that all fell apart, you know, and then there was number two, who I will refer to as number two, because I think that's appropriate. Um, so <laughs> I was vulnerable and hurting from this breakup with fish and number two came in and he told me stories about magic and Aristophanes and fate and meant to be, you know, and I saw the red flags there. I mean, I even confronted him about them once or twice, but in the end I let him talk me out of it. You know, I took those stories over what I knew. I denied reality. And during the marriage, I was afraid of him. Like I was afraid and I knew I was afraid and I thought it was something wrong with me. You know, this man mm. wouldn't let me take out the garbage. And I mean, honestly, we were on an episode of Judge John, Judge John Hodgman talking about that. It was funny and it was cute at the time, but it's really not, you know, no, there was really a darkness not. to it, you know, yeah. um, I couldn't drive myself to work. I, I mean, I could if I wanted to fight him, you know, and go through this whole thing and have him be pissy and mad all day, you know. Um, I couldn't go grocery shopping by myself. You know, I was very rarely by myself. I was always with him. It was always the two of us. And he had me convinced that it was out of love, you know, that he did all of these things because he loved me and he wanted to take care of me. And I didn't want to take out the garbage. So why should I have to? I hated grocery shopping. So why should I have to? You know, it was dangerous for me to drive myself in the snow. He needed to drive me to protect me and take care of me. And he made me feel weak and he made me a prisoner, you know, and I was afraid. But I told myself these stories like Aristophanes, baby, it's meant to be soulmates. You know, if that's true, if this man is my soulmate, he can't be a monster, you know. And now I'm at this point, I'm looking back at all of these things that I did, all of these things that I've been afraid of. And I had denied what was right in front of me in all of those situations, you know. So now, like, I'm no longer denying things. I know what I'm facing and I know what reality is. What I'm afraid of is not, you know, taking action in the face of fear. What I'm afraid of is me, you know, because my fear is me. I'm afraid that I'm going to tell myself a story, decide that it's true and deny what's right in front of me again. So I'm afraid of me and I'm with me all day, every day. You know, forget that I can't trust anyone else. I can't trust myself. So like, how do I face that kind of fear? You know, how do I take Shonda's excellent example and trickster this shit up, right? Mm -hmm. To work for me. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to begin to do that because when I'm denying something, like I am powerful in that denial. <laughs> like I will convince <laughs> myself of a story, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to face that. And, and how to like get rid of that fear of myself. I understand that. And I, it's funny too. I mean, it's not funny, but just with us, like <laughs> that we're on opposite ends of this. 
Yeah, what a surprise, huh? You know? I know, right? <laughs> so you have this ability, you know, to deny something, mm-hmm. and I don't. Right. But then I also don't have the ability to accept something true if it's positive. Right. <laughs> so, like, it, I, you know, it swings both ways. Like, this is not some big character flaw in yourself, and you don't have to take it that way. Mm-hmm. I think denial exists for a reason. And if we deny something... Is either because we need it desperately to be true mm-hmm. or because whatever's behind it is just too big for us to face. Yeah. And it usually comes down to one of those two things that I don't think it's because, you know, you're <laughs> like, it's, it's anything wrong with you. I think this is. Oh, a, there's tons of stuff wrong with me. No, <laughs> nothing wrong with you. I think this right. is a defense mechanism that uh-huh. it comes down for one of those two reasons. And it's either because the faith in something or the belief in something or the desire for something is so strong that you have to engage with denial in order for that thing to be true. Yeah. You know, like if you loved fish that much and wanted to be with his family, like to deny that it was a friendlier kind of love, like that's too much, right? Because there's the family that you wanted your whole life. And so you need that love with him to be real Mm-hmm. that's not something you do with any malicious intent. It's not something, right. you know. Well, and it also it, was, I mean, it was not just that. I mean, I did, right. you know, I loved him. I've always loved him. I mean, he's a, he's a wonderful human being. I mean, he really is. He's an exceptional person. But, um, but it was also that, like, I knew and I've always known that he is not made for that kind of life. Mm-hmm. but I denied that. And I think he denied it too. I think he wanted to be, he wanted right. to be that traditional kind of, you know, husband, father guy. He just, well, it's yeah. just, it's not who he is. We all do this. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone right. does this. We, <laughs> everybody. Thing, like, how do I, how do I trust myself that I'm not going to lie to myself when the next thing I want comes down the pike? Well, I think part of it is sharing the stories yeah because when you tell someone else these things you can't undo it right Mm -hmm. you can't take it back um and part of it is learning what denial feels like yeah for you yeah what does it feel like when you're doing that you know Mm -hmm. what happens when you're in that mode um and if you can start to identify it then you can start to watch out for it or just realizing hey this is a thing i do like (laughs) that's a big step you know Mm -hmm. That's a big step. Um, and so I, I think it's it's just recognition. Yeah. When does it happen? Because there is part of me that like knows. Yeah. There was part of me that was screaming at me all through this, this marriage with number two. Mm-hmm. And I ignored her. Right. You know, and that's something that I can't, like I have nightmares about that. Well, of course you do. You know, about like screaming and not being heard, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that, it's so much about that part of me knew, part of me knew all along. You well, know? and and I think that that's true. I mean, it, it's so hard, though, not to beat ourselves up for this. Mm-hmm. But there, there seems to be, I don't know if it's a chemical thing or if it's just a, maybe it's a biological warning system. I don't know. Yeah. But you have this, this fear that's under the surface when you're with a certain kind of person Mm -hmm. that everything you've been raised your whole life tells you to be polite, smile and laugh at his jokes and 
and to not trust yourself and to not trust your instincts, right? Because you're just wrong. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's funny though, because sometimes I think your, your, maybe your truest self just knows things. Yeah. And you're not even ready to process that or understand it. Mm -hmm. But like the first night I spent with my ex, I had this dream and I don't normally have, um, like imaginative dreams or symbolic dreams. Like I'm either going to have a nightmare and anxiety dream, or I'm going to have dreams. I don't remember. (laughs) I don't have many that have like (laughs) symbolism or story. It doesn't happen very often, Mm -hmm. but I had this dream with him the very first night that we were together that we were at a bus stop for some reason. (laughs) I have no idea what that was about. And he left me at the bus stop Uh with this backpack that was like too heavy and I kept having to stop because I couldn't carry this backpack and I was Mm -hmm. by myself and I was lost and like I was alone and I didn't know where I was and I didn't know why I was there. And all I knew is that he had left me there with this very heavy thing that I couldn't carry. Mm -hmm. This is my subconscious first reaction to this man. Wow. Who then ends up leaving me alone and pregnant. Oh my (laughs) God. Two years later. Seriously. I didn't honor that or listen to it or acknowledge it or <laughs> admit it or tell anyone about it. I just packed it away and continued to date him with great enthusiasm and politeness <laughs> and laughing at his jokes because <laughs> like, that was right. what I had been taught to do, I guess. And so I guess that was a form of denial too, even though there was no romantic storytelling with him. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think it's necessarily something you have to fear about yourself. I think it's just something you have to learn to kind of honor. Like, what does it feel like? How yeah. do you know when you're doing it? And how can you help yourself through it? And what support do you need? And what tools do you need? And stop thinking about it as a weakness in yourself and think about it as what is it telling you that you need? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's interesting. So let's take, we've got these stories about our fear, right? Mm-hmm. So our yes for this week, like, <laughs> how are we going to, can we manifest something act- actionable mm-hmm. from our fears? <laughs> yeah. What, what can nothing. we do for homework? <laughs> what can we do for homework? My homework idea was, I'm going to make Lonnie figure this out. Oh, great. Because- Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> no idea. Like, I have no idea. Um, I don't have, a like, a thing that I'm scared of. This, And I was trying to be very honest with myself about this, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have an interview with Jimmy Kimmel coming up. <laughs> right. Exactly, that you can face. Right, that right, I can there's face. No, like, there's no, like, thing happening that you yeah. can that you I don't can have do. a big dragon in front of me to slay right now. Right, right. Um, and, and listening to her, like, I think... I am much more comfortable doing the interviewing Mm -hmm. than being interviewed. I would rather be behind the camera than in front of the camera. Like Mm -hmm. that's just part of my personality. But if I had to do like an interview or talk in front of a group or deliver a speech, I would do it. Like I can do do it all the time. I do it. You do it all the time. You know, you're great at that. I can do that. Yeah. And so I was thinking, what else is different? Um, I mean, I have been dating a little, but I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting fear stop me from doing that. Yeah. I don't know that I'm doing it particularly well, but I'm doing it. (laughs) So I don't, I don't feel like I have 
I don't know. Like, I don't know what I would hear of yes right now. Like, what? Well, I think the thing is, like, because when you were talking about your fear, you were talking about how you deny your fear, right? Like, it doesn't, you don't give it a place. Like, I can't be afraid, you know, and then it comes out in your dreams, right? And you end up having those nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. So what if this week you kept a consciousness of the things that you're afraid of? What is it that's giving you fear? And just wrote them down when they happened. Oh, God. like what if that was your homework <laughs> is keeping like a fear journal, a fear journal. Right. OK. See, this makes me incredibly embarrassed and uncomfortable because I'm sure that most of them will be shallow you don't vulnerable. have to share them no that's, that's just you oh, and you yeah you don't have to share them on this podcast that we're doing like a memoir there will be no reason to talk about that in next week's reflection don't worry about it kelly you don't have to talk <laughs> about the specific fears you can say i kept a fear journal and there were things in it and there were you don't things have to share in it anything you don't want to you don't okay. have to share anything specific but maybe just write down those fears like because you have been you know, like af afraid that if you acknowledge your fear that it's going to make it manifest, you know, and maybe you can write it down and acknowledge it and see that it, it doesn't necessarily make anything bad happen. Ooh, what if it does? Wouldn't that be scary as hell? Well, if, if it I does, said... you can come here and yell at me and be like, great idea, Rich. <laughs> no, Thanks I'm just so saying, much like, for that. Ironic trickster universe that seems to love having its way with I me. I was afraid of a fiery apocalypse uh, and Trump is right? president. So, I mean, geez. Yeah, I exactly. mean, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, I know. I have to be careful with my power. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. So that's your action. I can do that. What's my action? Okay. So your action is to think about and maybe write about what denial feels like so okay. that you can recognize how you do it so that you can learn what the trigger is okay. so that you just to raise awareness for yourself. Okay. All right. I will write about what denial feels like. Mm -hmm. um, and I will write about fear and then I will drink wine. Okay. No, that sounds good. Let's drink together. <laughs> yes. I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I think if we keep doing this gut-wrenching, soul-searching BSY, I'm going back to my drinking while podcasting No, I think that you totally should. As long as the drink doesn't have ice in it, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no ice. I'll stick no to wine. Ice. Exactly. <laughs> no ice. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're both exhausted. So we are most active on Twitter. Follow <laughs> hashtag... Big strong yes for announcements and discussion. Follow me at Lottie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at chipperish.com. And if you like Big Strong Yes, here's how you can support the show. Review us on Apple Podcasts, tweet at us with the hashtag Big Strong Yes, and support Chipperish at patreon.com slash chipperish, which also gets you into the Discord chat, which is an amazing place to talk about the stories you love. Oh, God, the Discord chat, I got to say, is so amazing. People are it's having the best conversations there. I love it. It's so fantastic. They're such great folks. They really, really are. And it's so, so cool. I love it there. All right. So I am in charge of the closing quote this week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yes, you are. <laughs> so I went to William Shakespeare because I don't think anybody quotes Shakespeare near enough. He's just this lost person in the history of literature. Nobody ever talks about him. Um, but Poor he has this play called Measure for Measure, which nobody knows. But he has this great line, in it, <laughs> which is, 
Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.